Thanks for joining us for our Sunday worship gathering. Today, we're in a message series titled Forgotten God, and we're learning about the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Let's prepare our hearts for what God has for us today, and please give a warm welcome to our lead pastor, Bob Schwann. It's always uh, so awesome to see all of you. Uh, I want to, this is my own shameless plug, but I want to give a shout out to uh, my 86-year-old dad, who uh, to my knowledge, I don't think he's ever seen me preach, but at 86 years old, he's really trying to master technology right now. And so a couple of my siblings actually got it figured out for him how he can watch sermons online and stream. And so we had a conversation, so we're actually having conversations now about sermons. And one of his questions that was troubling him was, why do I say hi to Jenny every time I start to preach? And I'm like, no dad, our church is Journey. If there's not a Jenny out there, he thought she was in the choir, sang or something. I said, there's no Jenny. It's just journey. But I love it that my dad gets to hear what his son's all about. Back during the 1930s in the Great Depression, during the Dust Bowl days in West Texas, there was a sheep rancher named Ira Yates. And because of the economics of the situation of that time, he got to a place where he was just not able to make it for his family. His sheep operation was not producing enough income for him to even meet his mortgage, much less even provide food and clothing for his family. It just put him in this place of incredible desperation and frustration and fear. He would just sit there and think about how in the world am I ever gonna be able to make enough money to provide for my family? He got to the place where he needed to step into government subsidies just to even get by and to feed his family. Well, one day there was a knock on the door and it was an oil company. And they said, Ira, we've got reason to believe that there is oil underneath your land. And if you'd be willing to sign a lease contract with us, we'd like to do an exploratory wildcat well and see if there's oil on your land. Well, they went down and at 1,115 feet, they hit 80,000 barrels a day. That was the first well. They built or drilled multiple wells after that that produced twice as much as the first well. 30 years later, the Yates Pool was still producing over 125,000 barrels a day of oil. Even in the year 2000, the Yates Pool, as they called it, was one of the top 10 oil-producing fields in all of the United States. But I think about Ira Yates. Think about his life as a sheep farmer, living in absolute poverty, complete frustration, day-to-day fear. How am I ever gonna make it? When right below the surface was infinite resources. But here's the thing, Ira didn't know what he had. He didn't know what was beneath the surface and he didn't know how to access it in his life. So here was this person that was living in poverty that in actuality, he owned it all. He was incredibly wealthy. Friends, I think that can be a picture of us as followers of Jesus. We can have this infinite resource of the Holy Spirit that God gives to live inside the life of every person who bows their knee to Jesus, who makes him the Lord and the King of their life. His spirit comes in and dwells in his divine personal presence in us. But sometimes we live in spiritual poverty 
and frustration and fear because we don't know what we have and we don't know how to access it. We've been talking in this series about the life that Jesus calls us into in terms of being a disciple of him. And to be a disciple of Jesus, I'll just say it over and over again, it means that we actually live the kind of life that Jesus lived. We follow him so closely that his life starts to rub off on us, that our character actually starts to look like the character of Jesus. And the ministry of Jesus starts to look like our ministry. Our lives start to mirror the life of Jesus. And every time I say that, I just can't help but think of the magnitude of what it is that Jesus is calling us to, that our life would be transformed in a way that we would actually become like him. And I said it many times a couple of weeks ago, and I'm going to keep saying this as well. That kind of life, that kind of life that Jesus invites us into, it is not difficult. You might think, wow, that is so difficult. That life's not difficult. Friends, it's actually impossible. There's no way for us to live that kind of life in and of ourselves. The only way that we can be transformed into the likeness of Jesus is if he lives his life through us in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why this message series is so important for me. If we're gonna be who it is that Jesus is calling us to be, we've got to understand the resource that we have in the Holy Spirit, that we don't have to live in spiritual poverty and fear and frustration. God has given us everything we need. Let's just step back for a second and start to look at our own experience. Is that the life that we are living? Do we sense that we're living the abundant, fruitful, kingdom kind of life that Jesus has laid out for us? I think about so many years and so many seasons of my life where I just felt stuck. You know, I I knew that there was this picture out there that Jesus was calling us to, but I just felt stuck. And stuck in a way that even when I felt like I was trying to push on the gas in my spiritual life, sometimes it just felt like the wheels were spinning. And if you want to be frustrated in life, then try to do this. Then try to just get it all together. Try to do more. Try harder. Just gut it out. If you want to end up being a bitter and frustrated Christian, then just try to do that. Try to muster it in your own strength. That isn't what Jesus is calling us to do. What he's calling us to do is there's this beautiful partnership that he wants us to grab a hold of with the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit the third person of the Trinity, the divine presence of God living in us that is actually gonna bring the transformation in our life. Not only that Jesus promises, but that we really want in and of ourselves as well. This is how the scripture describes it. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter three, he says this about this transforming work and the connection between transformation and the Spirit's work. He says, now the Lord is the Spirit And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. God's spirit wants to bring freedom to our lives. Freedom from sin, freedom from fear, freedom from frustration, and life inside of him. He wants to bring freedom. And he says, and we all who with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory, we're all being transformed. We are being transformed into his image, meaning Christ's image, that picture of the life and ministry of Jesus. We're being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. It's God's work in us. It's his Spirit's work in us. 
But then the logical question is, if God has given me everything that I need to live the kind of life that he's calling me to live, how in the world do I access that? How do I grab a hold of what it is that God has provided for me? And here's what I wanna do today. I wanna teach you a simple visual tool that talks a little bit about how does God's kingdom break into our life? How does this kind of life of transformation happen for us? Because I know a lot of people, we're more visual learners than we are auditory learners. And sometimes we're actually even more kinesthetic learners that if we actually do something with our hands, we learn it better. So on your notes page is a blank little diagram that if, I, if you have that, I would love for you to just go along with me, write it down. So it's a way for you to learn it a little bit better. But what we're gonna talk about is how in the world does God want his kingdom to break into our life? And this diagram that I'm gonna share with you, kind of the jump off scripture from that is Mark chapter one, verses 14 to 15. And this is what it says. It says, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. And then Jesus says this, verse 15, the time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. This is Mark 1, 15. And what Jesus, I'm gonna repeat that again. Jesus says the time has come. And oftentimes when we think about time or we hear that word time, we think about it in this sense, the sequential passing of moments. And the Bible uses that word time a lot. And that word in the Bible is the Greek word chronos, where we get words like chronologically, chronological, chronos. But when Jesus says right here, the time has come, he doesn't use that word. He uses a different word. He uses a word. called kairos, not chronos, but kairos. What he's trying to say is this is a special time. And sometimes this word is translated opportunity. There's this special time, this special opportunity, this breakthrough moment in your life. And when Jesus starts to talk about what characterizes this kairos time, he says this. He says the kingdom of God is near. And a kairos is that time and place in life when God's kingdom has the power and the potential to break into our life. Some of those moments in our life, they might be a place where an event happens in our life that causes us to think more than we normally would about the kingdom of God and what it is that God is doing in our life. There might be circumstances that bring that about. It might be us reading the scriptures and you have those times where suddenly things jump off the page at you. The sense where God's kingdom is wanting to break into your life. I want you to, when you hear the word kingdom, kingdom of God, sometimes we think about it as kind of this ethereal thing, but what really is it? I want to simplify it for you. When you think about the kingdom of God, just think simply about a king. Because a kingdom requires a king. And we have a king. God is our king. Jesus is our king. And this kingdom is his rule and reign in our life. So when we're talking about the kingdom of God breaking in, what we're saying is God's rule and reign is gonna break into our life. That's the opportunity. That's the kairos. The kingdom of God 
breaking in. And when Jesus taught us to pray, when he taught his disciples to pray, and by extension taught us to pray, he told us to pray for these things to happen over and over and over again in our life. And how did he say it? He said, part of what you would pray every day is your kingdom come. Meaning, God, your rule and reign, your will, I want that in my life. Your kingdom come, your will be done. What Jesus is saying is look for these moments in life, these opportunities for God's kingdom to break in. But when Jesus was teaching in Mark 1.15, he says there's a couple of things that need to happen if God's kingdom is going to break in. There's some ways that you need to respond to what it is that he's doing in your life. And the first thing that Jesus says that we need to do is repent. Now I sometimes know when people, especially if you've grown up in church, when you hear that word repent, you might have this picture of an angry pastor standing up on the, pra- on the stage screaming at you, telling you to repent, meaning stop sinning, quit the sinning. I understand where we, where we get that, but what I want us to do for this is I want us to understand just what does this word simply mean? Not the extension of how we take it in the church world, but what did this word mean? The word meant simply to change your mind. When Jesus said, if you want the kingdom of God to break in, this word repent means to change your mind. Change the way that you think. And how is it that we're to change the way that we think? We're to change the way that we think, and we're supposed to think the way that God thinks, our king. If you want the kingdom to break in, you need to adjust your thinking to the way that God thinks. And that's what the Bible is saying when it says repent. And so a way for us to ask a question that will move us toward repentance is asking the question, God, what are you saying to me? When those kairos moments happen in our lives, when we sense that there's this breakthrough moments, the question that we start to ask to get our mind thinking the way that God thinks is we simply ask God, what are you saying to me? What is it that you want me to understand? Because I want my mind to be like yours. And because we're talking about changing our mind, the kind of change that we're talking about, we're talking about an inner change, a change inside of us, a change in our heart and mind. What is it to, again, start to think like God thinks? And we break it down this way as we teach this around journey. One thing that we do is that we observe when we sense that there's this opportunity, this breakthrough moment in our life, what we want to do is we want to just observe what's going on. Just sense that this is happening. God, what is it? Sometimes in my life when I think about this, it's just like, God, where are you grabbing my attention? And I think about it like a speed bump in life. You're just going along in life and every once in a while, it's like, boom. It's like, what in the world? What was that? When there's those Kairos moments, we simply want to observe that those are there. And then we want to move into a place where we reflect. And when we reflect, we want to start asking some questions of God. God, it seems like there's something going on here. I sense that you're at work. What is it that you want me to learn? What is it that you want to say? Why am I responding this way? We start to ask questions of God. Kind of the way that I I think about this biblically is I think about that story way back in the Old Testament, in 1 Samuel chapter 3. And Samuel's trying to learn how to hear the voice of God. And Eli's kind of helping him out with that. And Samuel's hearing someone say his name, 
but he thinks it's Eli. But then Eli figures out, this is the Lord calling you. And then he teaches him, he says, what you do, Samuel, is when God calls out to you, you just say, Lord, speak. Your servant is listening. That's what I think of when I think of reflect. When we sense that God wants to break in, we just slow down for just a minute. And we just say, Lord, speak. Your servant is listening. God, what is it that you want to say to me? And then there's a piece of it where we discuss. And when we say discuss, we're talking about bringing other people into this with us. We talk a lot about this around journey, that we're intended to be a family. We're to walk out our faith together. And part of that is people helping us learn to hear and respond to God together. Not every time that God is trying to break into our life is there even somebody there. But when we have the opportunity, we invite people into that. That can be a sounding board for us to help us understand. When I'm helping people process things like this, the picture that I have in my mind is I want to have one ear to heaven Meaning I want to hear anything that God might be saying through his Holy Spirit to me for them. But I want to have one ear to the person. Because I don't want to just give them my advice. I just want to say, Lord, is there anything that you want for them? Could be a passage of scripture, maybe a word, maybe a picture. God, what is it that you have for them? We bring other people into it. So this is, the, this is the picture. We engage a kairos. We observe, we reflect, we discuss. We're thinking about this interchange. And the bottom line question that we're asking is, God, what are you saying to me in this? But the transformation that we want, it's not going to come simply by asking God the question, what is it that you're saying to me? Because Jesus said there's another response that we need beyond just changing our mind. We need to change something else. He says, repent, and he says, believe, or have faith. Oftentimes when we hear that word believe in our culture, when we think of faith in our culture, we think of something primarily intellectual, that I just need to think differently about something. But that's what Jesus is talking about when he said the word repent. Belief, biblically, isn't just about thinking something, it's about walking something out. It's about following through in obedience taking what it is that God's saying and extending it into this world. The way, that, uh, the way that Jesus talked about it when he said repent and believe, the question that we would be asking is, God, what do you want me to do? Because to simply believe or to have faith, I think about James in his book. He talked about this connection between faith and action. And he said, if you say that you have faith and it's disconnected from action, he said, it's not really faith at all. And what Jesus is saying, if we're going to bring transformation to our life, we've got to not only repent, think differently, but we need to act differently. And we're asking God the question, what is it that you want me to do? And we break that into three different things as well. The first thing that we want to do is, what's the plan? God, in light of what you're saying to me, maybe not the whole plan, but at least what is the next step? If I'm going to walk out in obedience with you, what is my next step? And we're asking God, what do you want me to do to begin to extend my faith into this world, to follow you in faith? A second part is account, meaning that we just like discuss how we bring this into the world of other people with account, we actually bring this into the lives of other people as well. You might think about the word accountability. People to help us do what it is that God has asked us to do. 
Sometimes when we hear that word accountability, we think about people policing our lives and they're just checking in and they're asking us, did you do it? Did you do it? Poking us in the chest. That's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about people policing our lives, but we're talking about brothers and sisters partnering with us and what it is that God is asking us to do. Because we wanna walk this out together as a family. We do that together, not policing, but partnering. And the last thing we wanna do is act. Whatever it is that we sense that God is asking us to do, we wanna do our level best to follow in obedience, to live this out. So there's this interchange that happens when we repent and when we respond in belief, there's an outer change. So it's this interchange that leads us to an outer change and transforms us. And so here's the picture that I want you to have as you're walking along in life, if this is you, we have those Kairos moments those opportunities for God's kingdom to break in. What we wanna do is we wanna engage it. We wanna enter the learning circle with God in this way, asking him, God, what is it that you're saying to me? God, what is it that you want me to do? How do you want me to respond in obedience? And friends, here's the picture of what happens. It sends our life incrementally in a different direction. It changes the trajectory of our life when we simply hear God speaking to us and we respond in obedience. And this change here, between here and here, is what I would call transformation. That's what it is that God wants to do in our life. Simply hearing and responding to him sends us on a new trajectory in life. So here's the question. Whenever I share this with people, oftentimes with just a a napkin in a coffee shop, the question is, okay, that all makes sense to me, but how do I hear the voice of God? How do I know that I am hearing from him? How is it that God speaks to me? And usually the, I feel like the smoke screen that people often throw up is, well, I just, I never hear an audible voice. You know, like somehow if we don't hear an audible voice that we can't trust that God speaks to us. If an audible voice was the only way that God spoke to people, I can confidently say God has never spoken to me that I'm aware of. I've never heard an audible voice. But I am very confident that God can and does and wants to speak into our lives. But here's what I know is true about how God speaks to me and what I believe will be true about how he speaks to you is that he will do it in a way that is very personal to you. He will speak to you in a way that you can understand. I think about how Jesus talked about this in John chapter 10, when he talked about us being his sheep and he being the shepherd. And when he talked about us, he said, my sheep, they hear my voice and they follow me. They don't listen to another voice because they don't understand it. We learn to hear his voice. God speaks to us in ways that make sense to us. But I wanna share some principles that I think will help us understand how God speaks to everyone. Friends, the word has to be central to hearing God's voice. This is what God has chosen to say to all people for all time. Friends, we've got to start here. Because if we think that God is speaking to us in other ways that contradict what he said there, we need to understand that is not what God would say. This is what he said for all people, for all time. 
If we want to hear his voice, we've got to be people of his word. There's promptings. God will bring thoughts to our mind. Things that maybe we just think that didn't come from me. Where did that come from? God will give us promptings to do certain things. Ask us to do certain things on his behalf. You know a major way that God speaks to us? is through people. That's why it's so important that we be connected to one another as a body, as a family. Because God uses other people to speak to us. It was several weeks ago, I was in a place in life, and I don't even know if this corresponded to reality in any way, but in my heart of hearts, I just felt alone. I just felt like, I I don't know that anybody's in this with me. I just felt so isolated. I mean, I had friends, I had people in my life that were talking to me, but something in my experience and in my emotions just felt so alone. And in a matter of a handful of days, over a period of probably about 10 days, I started to get these random texts from people in my life that would say almost the exact same thing. I just want you to know we are in this with you. I just want you to know that we're beside you. I just want you to know that you can call me at any time. Sometimes they were people on the periphery of my life, and sometimes they were people that were so close to me that it was surprising that they would even say that because I would have thought they they probably already know that I think that about them. God uses people. It was text messages coming from people. How does God speak to us? He texts. He's going to do whatever he can to break through in our life. We can't put God in a box. He will use lots of different things, but he will do it in a way that I believe is personal to you. He uses circumstances in life to cause us to look to him to cause us to ask those questions, God, what are you saying in this? What do you want me to do? He uses our emotions. So many times in my life, that's what prompts transformation in my life, is I just feel this strong emotion and I don't understand it or where it's coming from. So I need to step back, just like Samuel did, and say, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. What do you want to say to me in this? Help me understand what it is that you want me to know. And sometimes it's just that listening time of prayer. You know, sometimes our prayer can just be doing a lot of talking to God, but there needs to be times, friends, where we just sit back and we listen and we just say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. That's the learning circle. I wanted you to understand that, but there might be something that's going off in your mind that's saying, I thought we were in a series about the Holy Spirit. What does the learning circle have to do with the Holy Spirit? Or even the title of this message, How to Be Filled with the Holy Spirit. Friends, this simple diagram lived out moment by moment, day by day in our life is biblically what I believe the Bible talks about when it talks about the filling of the Holy Spirit, which is simply as a follower of Jesus, taking the time in our life to listen to what it is that the Spirit is saying and following in obedience. That's what's gonna bring transformation in our life. It's simple but it's really hard to live out consistently, moment by moment, day by day in our life. So I wanna just touch base. We're gonna be in this scripture for a couple of weeks, but I wanna talk about this scripture from Ephesians chapter five because it's one of the key teachings in the Bible on this idea of the filling of the spirit. And this is what the scripture says in Ephesians chapter five, starting in verse 15. It says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. 
Meaning we might have two different ways that we can live. We can live as unwise or as wise. But if we want to live as wise people, this is what Paul says that we need to do. He says, making the most of every opportunity. Every opportunity. Friends, what word do you think Paul used right there when he talked about that every opportunity, make the most of every opportunity? It was that word right there, kairos. Every time that God prompts you, every time that he bumps you, every time that we hit those speed bumps in life, Paul is saying, grab a hold of it. Don't let it go by. Make the most of every one of those kairoses in life. But here's the truth. We can be this person right here. We can be walking along in life and we can miss kairoses in our life. We can miss those breakthrough opportunities. And the scripture talks about many ways, but I want to talk about two ways. I want to highlight two ways that the scripture says we can miss those breakthrough moments in life. And the first one is this. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit that wants to prompt us, we can grieve him. And when we're talking about this idea of grieving the Holy Spirit, what we're talking about is just simply disregarding or ignoring the convicting work of the Holy Spirit in our life. One of the roles of the Holy Spirit when he came to indwell us is to convict the world, including you and I, of sin. To show us sin. To show us when we're in a place of disobedience. To show us when we're on the wrong path. But what we can do when the Holy Spirit convicts us, brings those things to our attention, is we can simply ignore it. And that grieves the Holy Spirit. And Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, just a chapter before what I read to you earlier, he says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. And as I was thinking about this text and reflecting on it and what, what, is it, what is it like to grieve the Holy Spirit? I started to think about my own life as a parent and my own life as being a child and think about what that was like to be on both sides of those equation as it relates to this idea of grief. There was a, a season in my life when I was in high school and early college and my mom, she prayed for me. She did everything that she could to raise me in the church, to raise me to know God, but there was a season of my life that I just said, I'm gonna do what I wanna do. I don't care what you say to me. And I remember one of those nights when I was thinking about this idea of grief. I started to think about one of those nights that I came home way too late, way past curfew, and I didn't wanna face my mom, really hoping that she wouldn't be up. But the Kind of the way our driveway was, it was a long driveway and I came around the driveway and I could see my house in the distance and I could see the light on in the living room and I knew what that meant. I was going to have to face my mom. What was she going to do when I got there? Walked in the house, bracing, walked up the stairs and I looked over there, her sitting in her chair, sitting by her lamp, reading her Bible and there were just tears in her eyes as she looked at me. She got up and she walked by, she walked right by me and went into her room. But I could just see, it just emblazoned in my mind, the grief on her face. Because she was watching the son that she loved, that she cared about, that she'd given up so much for, make decisions to head down a wrong road in life that she knew that would lead to destruction if something didn't change. 
And I started to think about the grief that my mom felt. And she was just a broken person, just a humble human. Can we for a minute try to think about God's grief for us? Because I I can say, like, nobody on the planet has probably loved me more than my mom loved me. But God's love in comparison is incredibly infinite beyond what we could ever know. What is the kind of grief that we bring to him by just choosing to go our own way, not listening to him, not responding to his convicting work in our life. We can grieve the Holy Spirit and miss those opportunities for transformation because we just want to go our own way. A second thing that the Bible talks about is that we can quench the Holy Spirit. We can grieve the Holy Spirit, but we can also quench the Holy Spirit, which is just ignoring his promptings and the revelation that comes to us by his Spirit. First Thess 5, it says this, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And then Paul says, do not put out, do not put out or quench the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything, but hold on to what is good. Paul gives us this picture of the Holy Spirit's work on our life. He gives us this picture of fire, of flame. And there's work that the Holy Spirit wants to do in our life. Teaching work. He wants to teach us. He wants to guide us. He wants to comfort us. He wants to counsel us. He wants to help us. He wants to be our helper. And the scriptures say, fan that into flame. Take this flame and make it bigger in your life. But Paul's making it really clear that what we can also do is we can just ignore those things that the Spirit wants to do in our life. Those kingdom breakthrough times, those kairos moments, we can just simply quench it. We can just, with a disobedient act, with a closing our ears act, we can quench what it is that the Spirit wants to do in our life. And it keeps us from experiencing the kind of transformation that God wants us to experience. That transformation into the image of Christ. What I've described here, this simple learning circle, going around this circle, around this circle, moment by moment, is a picture of what the Bible describes as the Spirit-filled life, or life in the Spirit. One step at a time, one kairos at a time. This is how Paul said it in Galatians chapter 5. He says, since we live by the Spirit, and that could also be translated, since we walk by the Spirit, he says, let us keep in step with the Spirit. If we want transformation in our life, if we want the future to be different, it's one kairos at a time. It's one kairos at a time where we say, Spirit, what is it that you're saying to me? What is it that you want me to do? I'm going to step out and I'm going to walk that out in obedience. And then another kairos comes. Spirit, what is it that you're saying to me? What is it that you want me to do? And I'm going to follow in obedience. I'm going to step it out one at a time. Transformation and breakthrough in our life. Sometimes I think we think that it's just going to be, God's going to magically zap us and we're going to be different, completely different. The transformation that, and sometimes there can be those big breakthrough moments in life where things are never the same, but the bulk of our transformation happens one step at a time. I love how Eugene Peterson 
says it. He says it's a long obedience in the same direction, one step at a time. One step at a time of us hearing what God is saying to us and saying, yes, I'm gonna walk it out in obedience. God, what are you saying to me? What do you want me to do? Yes. One yes at a time and our lives will forever be different. The question for us is, what's our next yes? Maybe not your, I don't want you to even think about what your next hundred yeses are or where the transformation needs to happen. What's your next yes? What is the thing that the Spirit is saying to you right now today that you know that this is what he's asking you to do? Can I ask you, beg you, just walk it out in obedience. Do your level best. Say yes to him. What's your next yes? I wanna ask you to put your things aside and I wanna give every person that's here an opportunity to just simply ask that question of God right now. God, what is my next yes? Holy Spirit, we are so thankful that you are here and that you live in us and you've given us everything that we need to live a life that pleases you and transforms us into the image of Jesus Christ himself. Spirit, we invite you in greater ways to bring about that transformation in us. And we just wanna say right now, God, whatever it is that you wanna say to us, whatever it is that you're asking us to do, we just wanna put our yes on the table. You tell us what it is, God, the answer is yes, one step at a time, one kairos at a time. God, we belong to you. Our answer is yes. We trust you. And it's in Jesus' precious and risen and holy name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.